Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today has had nearly 30 years in the professional services industry, working across the globe in a number of sectors and in a particular IT service and business solutions organization, making him one of the top leadership personalities within that company. We're going to talk about fintech, financial service industry, and how digitalization is changing how we see and spend money across the globe. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Privcap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform, facilitating access to investment insights, resources, and capital for its members. It runs senior-level forums on private equity, venture capital, and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up-and-coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring. For details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Samantha Roy is the Vice President and Head of Tata Consultancy Services, Middle East, North Africa, and Mediterranean region. Currently based in the United Arab Emirates, he has nearly 30 years in this industry. Tata Consultancy Services, also known as TCS, is a leading global IT service and business solutions organization. Samantha's visionary skill was identified and deployed in TCS to enable him to spearhead numerous critical projects of great value to the organization. These roles include head of BPS for North America, regional manager for Midwest USA, and head of sales for the Indian region. During his time as the head of the resource acquisition group, he drove the TCS IPO process in its entirety, making it the largest IPO process in India. He has been described as having astute management qualities And time and time again, his customer-stakeholder relationship management has been praised by his peers. Samantha's ability to transform teams to be highly respected, feared even, in the marketplace has been noted by those he has worked with. An outstanding communicator, he is known as the quantum of energy within his social circle. We may hear more about this in the course of this discussion. But for the time being... And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Samantha to Heads Talk. Happy and delighted to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. Was that really about me? Uh, <laughs> it was indeed. It was indeed. I'm uh, impressed with your resume. I thought it was Warren Buffet and uh, <laughs> Bill Gates rolled into one. Not me, really. No, but, I'm afraid yeah. it's you, Samantha. I'm afraid it's you. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, as mentioned in the introduction, I want to talk quite extensively about the payment and money management landscape, which is rapidly changing due to digitalization. And we would really like your insights into this sector, and in particular, what is happening in the UAE and the MENA region. So we're going to talk about some of the work you have done in this space, and perhaps um, hypothesize on the the future trends uh, and directions. Let's start with this. This is a story of uh, a collaboration. Tell my listeners the story of how TCS and First Digital Bank collaborated to create a purely digital bank with no physical branches. I mean, how fascinating is that? What was entailed here? What was TCS's role? 
where is TCS potentially going with this? For example, more collaborations or help with the um, development of future digital banks? Samantha, tell us all about this. Okay, this is actually really interesting. Yes, so so the the landscape in question is is real, really, and uh, where it started is the country. Uh, the last bank that rolled into the country was about thirty-five to forty years ago, mm -hmm. and if you look at the Overall market, the top two banks have about 50%, the top four have about 70% of the market share, right? So what was happening is uh, the entire uh, play was that people were paying a lot of money for services and uh, the, the digital, uh, you know, the new technology, the digital technology, the industrial 4.0 was not, you know, flowing into the, banking sector and the financial sector, essentially because the, the banks were old and there was no incentive really mm -hmm. uh, for them to change uh, since they had a large market share. So the government actually intervened. The government said that, you know what, uh, you know, for a new digital bank to come in, mm -hmm. the entry barrier is high. So what I'm going to do as the government is I'm going to put out a, a pot of money Mm -hmm. and create a platform which will be entirely sponsored by the state, but digital banks can come into that and use that capex right. and then drive digital business uh, by paying for the opex, for all the, uh, the operations, et cetera, they will pay, but the initial capex setup of a bank mm -hmm. that the government is going to pay, and it is going to be uh, multi-tenant, in nature, so any bank which wants to come in can come in. Mm -hmm. So this was a this was a, a request for a proposal uh, in a global uh, arena, mm -hmm. and the catch was we had to come with another party who was willing to be the first bank, and a brand new bank, you know, net new. Mm -hmm. So we collaborated with First Digital Bank, which was born in the digital era bank, so to say, born on this platform. So we won this deal about a couple of years back, and then we started creating this digital spine or digital platform, whatever you may call it, essentially creating the backbone for offering customers dig services digitally, entirely digitally, driving the cost of operations low and the time to market you know, even shorter. So that's the essential uh, you know, storyline. Mm -hmm. Now, coming to your uh, second part, what is the uh, way forward? Yes. So we have got the first bank. They've actually gone live on uh, in a limited scale, of course, on 1st of March. And, uh, you know, they really do not have a branch. And the, the target audience is the youth of the country who yes. believe in doing things quickly and rapidly. Okay. And uh, the ticket size may be small, but the volumes are very high. They tend to uh, you know, do a lot of transactions, being mostly small and medium, but volumes are high. So this bank wants to ride on that uh, phenomenon along with us. Mm -hmm. So potentially where we are going is, yes, we would believe that there will be further digital institutions, not necessarily banks, uh, who would join this uh, platform mm -hmm. and make the platform richer and more meaningful, thereby driving the cost of operation for each yes. of the constituents further down and passing that benefit to the customers. 
in the future we'll bring out roll out more products for this uh, bank for example loans mm-hmm. uh, you know for example mortgage mm-hmm. uh, for example securities uh, and uh, we are also hoping more and more institutions will join this digital platform okay no that's 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 useful and and you know you, um, one cannot underestimate the the huge challenge for corporations banks to um, adopt fintech um, solutions we are aware of the potential of such adoption and you, and you just sort of highlighted some of it but often issues such as um regulatory blockage complex integration matters costly and time consuming procurement processes and, and not to mention the effort and work required to get the necessary buy-in, business buy-in, will inevitably delay such adoption plan. Well, my listeners, um, Samantha, can you elaborate generally on how huge a challenge is it for corporations to adopt fintech solutions in the bricks and mortar world? And what does TCS see and in their capacity help their clients with? Okay, thank you for the question. So let's break that into two, three parts, right? One is the challenges of fintech uh, adoption by the brick and mortar world, and uh, also what we intend to do. Uh, So first part, see the fintechs, typically if you look at the fintechs, what they do is they come with a niche, exceptionally brilliant idea, right? Mm -hmm. They would Uh, try to find a white space in the operations of the financial institutions, Mm -hmm. maybe a bank, maybe a non-banking lender, Mm -hmm. and they would offer a very, very cool product which would cover that white space, thereby either allowing the bank to address new set of customers Mm -hmm. or making the transactions cheaper uh, and quicker. That's essentially what a fintech does. Now, the problem is uh, twofold. One is that what is existing may not be able to ingest the fintech uh, the way it it proposes the solution, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you cannot kind of uh, push uh, a square peg into a round hole, so to say. Uh, So that that challenge is going to be there. If the IT systems is not enabled or it's not amenable to absorbing such technology, it's going to be a huge challenge mm-hmm. Okay, from the banking or the old world bricks and mortar uh, yes. world, right? Yes. If you flip it, there is a problem with the fintechs as well. So typically what the fintech would do is they would do the science very well in the sense that they would know the problem very well. They would know what segment they're addressing very well, mm-hmm. but they need not be doing the engineering very well. What I mean by that is typically they start small, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, certain areas, for example, scalability. See, what you can do for uh, 10 customers, what you can do for 20 consumers, you cannot do for the same thing will not work for 10,000 just by extrapolation. You cannot put 10,000 more servers to achieve what you are doing mm-hmm. for 10 customers, right? The, the scalability is an issue from the fintech side, typically, not always. Some of them do it really well, I must say, but 90% of the fintechs would have that issue. Mm-hmm. The second problem that the fintechs have from an engineering perspective is sometimes they ignore the non-functional characteristics in the sense, suppose I have to get this result, you know, if I have a query, 
mm-hmm. a, cust- a, a, a person is standing in front of the teller, let's say in a brick and mortar world, and is asking for the money, the teller has at best two minutes to respond to the customer standing in front of him or her, right? Mm-hmm. So this non-functional characteristic that the entire thing has to turn around in two minutes may or may not be something that the fintech would have addressed. Also, the security is something that uh, fintech may or may not address upfront, right? Because the security piece is an additional layer that has to be developed mm-hmm. on top of the core product, okay? And the core product might be sitting on multiple uh, kinds of systems. So the security layer has to adopt to each of those kind of systems. So that could be a problem which the fintech could bring to the uh, brick and mortar world, right? Now. Uh, what does TCS uh, see? Yeah. What is the TCS angle? Uh, before I go there, if you will allow me, Elaine, I will just deviate a bit and uh, talk about what the open banking parameters of uh, the world driven by World Bank and World Economic Forum Please do. Uh, that is happening. Yeah. Uh, so essentially what people are saying uh, is, you know, the, the small and medium enterprises, they are not being able to leverage uh, the the banking sector or the financial sector well, because uh, they are costlier. Their ticket size being smaller, they are they are costlier to service and therefore they are neglected. But that is what is going to drive future world economy. Not huge corporations, and therefore the open bank. That is, if I am in let's say, uh, for example, in Citibank, uh, I, I, I'm I'm there, and some fintech wants to do something for me as a consumer, Samantha Roy, and goes and asks for some data mm-hmm. uh, from, from, from my bank, brick and mortar bank, then the brick and mortar bank is in a certain way going to have to be giving this data to the fintech. It's, it might get obligated. So in certain countries, especially in the European Union and the UK, this open banking is a fairly established law. Okay. Uh, you know, in Bahrain, in Middle East, it's a law. Israel, it's, it's, a, it's a law. Saudi Arabia, they are going to create this law. In certain cases, it is open uh, to the ecosystem. For example, in US and for, in the UAE, uh, for example, they have said, okay, we will create an ecosystem and let the, uh, you know, the, the, the ecosystem itself decide how this will play. Uh, so there, what TCS we do is three things. One is if the financial brick and mortar institute has a gap, we try and identify the proper fintech for that, or vice versa. If we think there's a very cool fintech, we try and take those fintechs to certain of our large customers, mm-hmm. and then we help with the engineering side. You know, the APIification on the core banking systems of of the large uh, banks, uh, and uh, ensuring that the Security layer is taken care of by the fintech solutions. So we work on the uh, the crossroads of these two technologies and ensure that there is a harmonious delivery for the end customer. That's what we essentially try to do. Okay, thanks for that. And and, and still with fintech adoption, and I and you touched upon it when you talked about in, in UAE. And I, I just want to just concentrate solely in sort of UAE and the MENA region. And how successful has it been? And 
and how has the customer experience in that part of the world improved? And, and really the difference in terms of the adoption there as, as opposed to the West, was there a better adoption than in the West? And if yes, why? So let's understand what happened in the West and what is happening in the UAE and the MENA region, right? So in the West, this entire FinTech started as a mechanism to attract more customers. So the banks and the financial institutions could not by themselves do certain things, okay? And therefore they were looking at uh, solutions which could plug this hole. And therefore the fintechs were born in Silicon Valley, in London and in, 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 in Germany to a certain extent, even France. So a lot of those uh, fintechs happened uh, because there was a perceived uh, gap. And also because uh, these fintechs were using the industrial 4.0, what we call business 4.0 mm -hmm. uh, frameworks and the digital world much faster and better and outside the realms of uh, governance of, uh, of institutions, the federal banks and all those things, okay? Uh, and therefore the, the large drink and water institutions of the West were, were keen to get these guys in to the foray and work with them and take it forward. In UAE and uh, in the Middle East, North Africa market, it's slightly different. See, the, the fintechs were encouraged as an industry by themselves. Yes, yes. Okay, in, in, uh, in this area. Almost uh, pushed to become independent entities uh, because of other considerations. For example, uh, there is a vision across most of the Gulf region that non-oil economy should be less than 50% by 2030, 2025, depending on the country that we're talking about. But every one of them uh, you know, has some vision of becoming independent of the hydrocarbon economy, uh, right? And because of that, they are looking at fintechs as a way of, uh, of pushing this mm -hmm. uh, you know, stated objective. Uh, so because it was more customer driven in the West, the adoption has been better and it's older. Let, let's understand that okay. it happened in the West earlier. So of course the better adoption is there, but the rate of catch up is exceptionally high in the Middle East and UAE in particular, really, really fast. You know, the, mm. today only I read in the papers here uh, that uh, Silicon Valley VC is funding an AI company, uh, which is in Abu Dhabi, uh, right? And a fintech company. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are happening uh, essentially because of uh, the ability of uh, the UAE to attract and the Middle East, North America to attract fintech talent at this point of time. But we really still have uh, certain uh, time ahead of us to catch up with the adoption that has happened in the West already. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and as you say, the UAE attracts the necessary talent. Today, it's one of the world's most innovative and forward-thinking economies. It, it continues to move forward with the with the the frequent deployment of innovative new initiatives, increasingly involving an artificial intelligence, which we will talk about in greater detail later. How has UAE and the and MENA embraced this fourth generation industrial revolution, not just fintech, but just generally? Please provide some yeah. examples of the benefits 
um, of this period yeah. we're living in. Right. No. So true. See, you know, it's a it's a large symbiotic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. The fintechs, the other fourth industrial yeah. revolutions, and so they feed off each other essentially. So, for example, uh, I will talk about uh, one utility company here in in in, uh, in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, they have deployed what is called Boston robots. You know, this four-legged robots, which uh, yeah. kind of uh, move like a dog. You know, those robots for uh, utility. So uh, checking the lines. You know, they have uh, huge lines to distribute uh, the the electricity and water. So maintenance of that, etc., is being done by they're they're piloting this uh, with these uh, robots, right? Uh, so this is being done uh, in many places, not just here. If you talk about uh, the entire Neom, uh, you know, the smart city initiatives uh, in in Saudi, the vision uh, and and they have just broken ground actually. The vision is unbelievable. You know, they're talking about. Uh, uh, creating 100 kilometers of cities and yet each of the ports will be independent of uh, the other and you can you actually don't need a car to travel uh, so imagine i mean uh, look at it i mean the largest hydrocarbon producers of yeah. the world yes. are talking about a carless city you know yes uh, so so there's something very unique about that yes. yeah yeah it's it's unique uh, and uh, Hope for the world, you know, and for our children, actually. Yes. Uh, but again, there are other things. For example, uh, the the road and transport transportation authority here in UAE, they were uh, looking at, uh, uh, you know, getting to understand whether uh, the driver behavior, trying to figure out if the driver, uh, it is not just telematics, it's not just uh, you know the sensor saying whether there's a hard break of the car or anything else, mm-hmm. like, or, or sudden turning. It's more than that. Trying to figure out from the facial recognition of the driver whether the driver uh, has been driving for more than 15, 16 hours, is tired, you know, is uh, listening or talking on on the phone, etc. These are all for taxis and hired cars, right? Hired driving, mm-hmm. uh, and these they they wanted to uh, use when there were large uh, you know, exhibitions or large events in the country. For example, there's an Expo 2020, which is uh, going to start in uh, UAE. Uh, they're expecting a lot of people from uh, Europe uh, and actually all over the world to come in. And the dependency on hired vehicles is going to be very, very high. But they don't want people to be driving uh, beyond certain time, uh, ten, you know, uh, for more than the 10, 8, 10 hours, whatever the restriction is, uh, just to make a quick money, right? Uh, so that's an intervention with the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to certain areas, for example, uh, you know, the zoo, the Alain Zoo, mm-hmm. you have humanoid robots who will take you uh, across from cage to cage and uh, no longer cages, actually, uh, sorry to use that term, uh, exhibition areas uh, mm-hmm. and tell you in your language, you know, whether it's English or Arabic or whatever you want. At, at this point of time, it's only English and Arabic. And tell you uh, about the species that you're seeing, about the natural habitat of the, pers- uh, the species, and whatever you want to know. 
Okay, so the industrial revolution is being used in a lot of services. One specific point uh, I want to talk about, uh, and that is uh, UAE specifically, yeah. is becoming the hub of coronavirus vaccine distribution for the world. All right. Okay, uh, they are getting all the vaccines they have contracted, and they they believe because they are kind of in the middle. Uh, in, from Japan to US, they're kind of equidistant. Uh, they, uh, they, this, this country is actually going to become the hub. And the entire supply chain, including ensuring that the Pfizer vaccine is at minus 50 degrees, whereas uh, some other vaccine is at minus two degrees uh, while being stored, all those things are driven by IoT, absolute IoT driven uh, mm -hmm. work. Uh, and I'm sure also, uh, judging by the way Qatar is uh, talking about FIFA 2022, in the World Cup football, you will also see a whole heap of IoT uh, stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Including logistics, transportation, uh, and whole heap of uh, you know fan, yeah. uh, you know the things that the fans would like to do. So that's how. It is working. It's very exciting times. Very, very exciting times. I, I can imagine, and the possibilities are endless. And, and sticking with the fourth industrial revolution, because it just occurred to me now, because I remember talking with the previous guest when that we talked about the, the, the becoming cashless and deliberately, deliberately becoming cashless. This is Sweden. They're trying to do that. They're sort of eighty-three percent of the way there. What do you think? Just you know, a, a guess even. What do you think in, in terms of the UAE and the, the MENA region? When roughly do you think that that will happen when they become cashless? Um, so I, so it's going towards that for sure. Yes. Uh, and I, I don't remember when I had uh, cash in my wallet. Uh, yeah. More than a few changes for a very long time. Uh, you know. Uh, it's going in the right direction. But. Sorry? It's going in the right direction, as you're saying. It is going in the right direction. Absolutely. Yes, it is going in the right direction. Uh, so I don't know. I would hazard a guess. Uh, see, the, the issue that uh, uh, the Middle East has uh, in terms of going cashless is that there is a lot of expat population and migrant population, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the currencies uh, sometimes, uh, you know, are certain functions are still hard currency, you know, mm -hmm. the passports, the visas, they still prefer hard currencies. Uh, so that is one challenge that this part has. But in the country, inside the country, uh, I would hazard a guess of 50 to 60% already being cashless. Everybody mm -hmm. takes uh, uh, a card or a mobile payment, in, you know, yes. uh, you mm -hmm. can pay with your Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or whatever, uh, iPay, yeah? yeah, yeah, very, very easy, yes. Okay, um, uh, we're moving on. I'm going to talk about cybersecurity. You touched upon it, especially when you talked about um, layering um, fintech over legacy systems, and there's a sort of a, a security piece that needs to be considered. Um, uh, once again, I had I had a previous guest on Heads Talk, um, who um, is a chief security officer for a global organization in the publishing world. He talked extensively about the the enormity of the work since moving into the digital space. He's been in the role for about over 20 years, probably 25 years, if I remember correctly. He emphasized that it's a different ball game. Cyber um, attacks are growing in number, size, and sophistication, causing losses of nearly 
$360 billion per annum. The increasing cloud-based um, interconnected mobile nature of finance has opened it up to more vulnerabilities. My question to you is, what role does TCS play in helping clients with their cybersecurity needs, enlightening interconnectivity, cloud deployment, and mobile and digital working? Right. You know, the, the, your, uh, the guest before you spoke to, uh, or who spoke, uh, is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the digital economy will come digital crimes, right? Yes. Uh, so that is but obvious, uh, and it is going on increasing. But I just want to peel the onion a bit and uh, talk about two, three uh, separate points. Uh, see, uh, it is no longer, so we can bear, build and TCS can build, a lot of other companies can build, a lot of customers, banks can build bulletproof data centers, right? Tier three, tier four, you know, data centers, tier mm -hmm. two, tier three data centers, which are, you know, very, very hard to get into. But the problem is that the action has moved away from the data center to the edge, to the mobile device, to the IoT yeah. device, with the sensor, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and that is really the challenge. So building a bulletproof data center, of course, has its merits, but that is not the uh, you know the the manna from heaven, right? It, it's 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 mm -hmm. not going to help just doing that. So for us, uh, what we are doing uh, is first of all we are trying to look into this uh, from uh, how the entire security moves from the edge to the cloud and yep. every piece of it in between, including if there is a hybrid solution, a data center as well. Right, so the entire thing, the cloud, the hyperscalers are fairly, fairly, uh, you know, the security there is uh, fairly good. All the large hyperscalers, right? They have uh, whatever the three or four that comes to your mind. All of them are great in that sense. Mm -hmm. But it is the interconnection uh, where this problem uh, and the leakage happens, and loopholes or holes are there, which uh, cyber criminals take to. Uh, so. That is what we try to look at, the end-to-end -end, uh, play and how to move uh, compute mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the data center to the cloud as more importantly to the edge mm -hmm. and uh, what, to, what to expect, what not to expect, how to shut down a part of the edge if you believe that yeah. you are infected yeah. or yeah. Uh, you know, one, one part. So how, how do you do a quick operation? Th that is something that we are working with. There's one more, two more pieces I want to pick up in this conversation. Uh, one is, See, it is not just criminals, right? Uh, there is a significant element, especially if you talk about open banking. So for example, uh, you know, let's say uh, Elaine wants to buy uh, a new house, right? And uh, Elaine goes to uh, a whole heap of uh, people asking for a loan. And Elaine uh, requests her primary bank that everybody who's asking for my credit history, uh, these are the 10 places I'm asking for a loan. If they want to give mm -hmm. the credit history, please give. Okay. But as soon as I buy the house, stop giving. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the data privacy issue is also equally important. Mm 
okay and mm-hmm. it's not just not just criminals right you can leak data uh, right. uh, and not be the data need not be stolen it it can be leaked so if i keep pushing your credit history beyond your need you can sue me legally mm-hmm. if i'm a bank that is yeah yeah surely there uh, are rules so, yeah so so those things have to be also and that is not necessarily technology there is an element of technology and process and they have to marry to get the solution mm-hmm. right and the technologies are not massive technologies they are point solutions to take care of point problems mm-hmm. okay and the entire thing has to be harmonized uh, across the enterprise to mm-hmm. deliver what it is and the last point i wanted to pick up on this is uh, again because of the nature of the world that we are in uh, there is work from home uh, what we call secure borderless workspaces right uh, okay uh, so that is also something that we are driving and helping our customers with uh, as soon as covid hit last year same time lot of our customers said we want to you know immediately whoever can work from home work from home but my security cannot be compromised Mm. so we devised some seven or eight uh, computing uh, or networking or connectivity uh, uh, methods depending on your latency need depending on how secure you are want to be and the the money you want to pay you yeah. pick one of them optimize and uh, pick one of them uh, also uh, you know there are going to be certain hr policy changes for example uh, you know when when this happens you you swiped your card in to office you know no longer there how will I, my salary be uh, and if my salary compute expects a feed from the swiping uh, system and it's no longer relevant how do you do how do you ensure that someone else is not opening the laptop uh, and doing work from home uh, and not doing three four jobs at the same time all those things also come into uh, play right that is also a part of cybersecurity because of the nature of the business that we currently have so so, so while working at home bring solutions it also brings a ton of problems that um, TCS is True. looking to address and and help their clients with that's quite interesting that's quite fascinating and um, let's move now to a selection of questions that talk about new technology and the future and remember my point when i talked about hypothesizing so bear that in mind first first a lot of organizations i've read about and talked to have what they call their innovation labs TCS has its innovation lab for my listeners what are they and what's happening there right okay thank you so innovation labs essentially do two things mm-hmm. one is the research level where they try to figure out uh, how to file patents how to create products uh, create intellectual properties uh, so that is the research level mm-hmm. and then there is the innovation level right Uh, and in the innovation level is uh, you get a problem uh, and then you ground search grounds for a solution and then see how that solution uh, you know fits the problem that uh, your customers uh, or a group of customers are talking about mm-hmm. so you try to marry so those are the two <clears throat> it's a bimodal thing so one is on the research side and the other is on the innovation side Mm-hmm. and uh, they are brought together in uh, a space uh, mostly real but it can also be virtual mm-hmm. <laughs> actually it's a combination of both and uh, 
that essentially is the crux of uh, what an innovation lab is. Right. Okay. That that's that's <clears throat> that's concise, which is good. And hopefully, uh, another straightforward question: um, What role is AI playing in the financial sector, and has it matured to a level of, um, in quotes, common use? I we see we are seeing um, it across different regions, or is it still an ex experimental state um, with potential still in the innovation lab, for example? Yeah, good question. I, I you know, I being a representative of the tech company, I would say, mm -hmm. no, no, it's become state of the art and we can do it. The problem is not a technology problem. The problem is one of return of investment. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Uh, AI tools and techniques typically are costly. And uh, the return of investment uh, has to be at least within the, uh, the CIO, the CEO, uh, or the product manager's tenure, right? If it goes beyond that, uh, or it perceived to go beyond that, it will be shot dead, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that is the challenge. The, 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 the ROI currently uh, is not in a time period which is uh, worth uh, for large-scale deployments. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are point solutions which are doing phenomenally well, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, especially in the financial sector, if I may just uh, sticking to our broader theme, yeah. if I may say, if you look at uh, you know the AI around the, let's say the advanced computer vision, you know, video analytics, you know, yeah. Uh, for example, uh, for example, I know of this company uh, which is saying that you click uh, the uh, the car which has been in an accident. You tell me what car uh, in the the make and the model, mm -hmm. and uh, you tell me what it hit, and if it hit another car, give the picture of the other car, and I'll be able to tell you. Uh, with 90% accuracy, I mean, this is the claim, whether you are within the speed limit or not, right. looking at the dent. Okay. So it completely takes away uh, the field work of uh, the claim adjudication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it may have been in an offbeat place. It could have been off-road, far from my uh, uh, the insurance company's uh, um, you know, office. So the, all those problems might come up. So the advanced uh, computer vision or video analytics uh, is doing really, really well. It started come, becoming uh, somewhat mainstream, especially for high-end cars, maybe. <clears throat> okay, so that's one point. The second piece that I see uh, is working uh, in the same space is, uh, you know, video analytics is uh, let's say the security around ATMs, you know, as video analytics becoming more and more mm -hmm. powerful and artificial intelligence driven, they capture and if there is an event which needs to be triggered, it automatically can trigger and say, hey, I am in this ATM at the cross section of 42nd uh, and uh, uh, 7th street and uh, you know, things are not looking right, send reinforcement, mm -hmm. okay? So that is something that uh, is slowly catching up uh, and it actually has an ROI, which is quite uh, tangible. Oh. Okay. 
the other piece is uh, let us say uh, advanced analytics uh, let us say uh, that uae and israel has signed the abraham accord so i can actually uh, do certain things uh, will my, the data which is inside my uh, computer or my system tell me hey when you are paying this loan uh, you know use this fund or hedge against this asset uh, because you have now have a new set of assets that you can hedge against which you didn't have because of change of geopolitical uh, events mm -hmm. so those things are also uh, coming into play right so that's another interesting piece that uh, we are uh, seeing from the ai space yes interesting i wasn't expecting the the return on investment as the issue but that that's nice angle and interesting and i would further investigate for my own for my own benefit now um i, I would like to um your personal opinion on this um mm -hmm. what's new and exciting technological developments are you seeing in UAE that you haven't mentioned yet and in the MENA region that you'd like to share with my listeners and is TCS working with startups actively working with startups if yes to what capacity and currently in what areas okay sure uh, and again I'll split the question to two first what is the technology that's going mm -hmm. on here that is find uh, very, very interesting see one uh, one uh, piece that is available to the the Gulf region, uh, UAE, uh, also including, uh, is there are you know m hundreds of kilometers of open deserts, right, with yes. no infrastructure in between, right. So uh, Hyperloop is going to become. This is my personal bet. Okay, this is, I have not. Uh, I've not validated this. I'm, I'm just talking to you for the first time, probably. Hyperloop is going to be important. Okay, Hyperloop as a technology, because you can't do that in in, in London or Boston, where you know you'll have you'll get into rights right of way issues, uh, you know, of yes. uh, buildings and factories and so on and so forth. So you have hundred kilometers to of barren desert, and you have to get to another city. Hyperloop is the perfect example. It's non-polluting. Uh, you, you can uh, time it well. And in a place like the Gulf region, where you have the right-of-way almost given, it's mm -hmm. going to be very, very cool. Smart cities are coming up in a big way. And there are several other, uh, you know, sub uh, points to the smart city. You know, driverless cars, uh, you know, self-driven uh, cars yeah. or driverless cars. Digital farming. So the the food scarcity is something that this region is going to address in a very big way. Already started. Okay, some of the countries have taken lead over the others because of geopolitical reasons. Uh, digital farming and uh, how to cultivate in a vertical farm using less and less of uh, uh, water uh, and uh, how to uh, grow the right crop, how to harvest at the right time is going to be an extremely IoT-driven uh, technology that is going to have a serious impact on the economies uh, of these countries here in the, uh, for us in the UAE and the, uh, especially, and it's in the middle, you know. And then there's the drone technology, which is being really 
done well for many things. You know, uh, there there is a one drone which is being used uh, to see uh, the the cultivation uh, of dates in the semi-desert area. Okay, which are the ones which are doing well? Are there uh, is there some which are dying? What interventions are needed? So drones take the picture uh, and send it back, and then agro experts and others uh, have. Uh, taking that. Of course, surveillance uh, is an additional piece there. So these are the new technologies uh, that will uh, will uh, be coming in the UAE and the MENA region. Uh, the smart city digital farming drones are all almost uh, started. Hyperloop is a personal bet that I think will happen. Mm-hmm. And right? okay. The second question. You had yeah, a second question. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we are we are working with. Uh, Many of them. For example, uh, there's a company. So, so Arabization uh, of uh, content uh, is an important piece. So, so voice to text uh, for chatbots, etc. We are working with uh, uh, technology companies here, which have specialization in that. So, unlike English, in 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 Arabic, what you say is not what you write. Okay, not exactly. Uh, uh, even in English, you don't do that, but in in uh, in uh, arabic it's significantly uh, the difference is significant uh, so voice to text etc for chatbots and better customer experience yeah. is something that we are working with local players and trying to do uh, in the in the uh, in the rpa chatbot area we are doing then uh, uh, there are companies that we are looking at having virtual meetings and virtual experience of exhibitions etc that is going very very well we are doing that uh, for several companies, right? Uh, with several companies, I'm sorry, uh, with startups. Mm-hmm. And then there are companies which are doing a lot of uh, character recognition in a different way. For example, there are huge pipelines under the ground and there are drawings which are very, very old. Uh, the ability to extract that, uh, the meaningful, intelligent knowledge from, uh, you, you know, uh, opaque or... Uh, non-intelligent documents is something that we are working on very well so that uh, the operation and maintenance of uh, oil fields, of uh, pipelines, etc., are uh, done well. In the fintech world, uh, we are seriously looking at uh, the ability to uh, work uh, with, uh, uh, you know, the APIification, uh, the API layer and others others in the fintech world, Uh, also blockchain. Uh, yeah. We are really looking at that, uh, especially in cross-border uh, f- financial transactions. Blockchains are becoming more and more, you know, digital guarantees, for yeah. example. Uh, they are becoming very, very uh, important. So we are working on those. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's fantastic because it actually leads me quite nicely into the next question. Because what you're talking to me about is what you're doing now. So I'm really excited about what you're going to say with this, the answer with this question, because I'm talking about in a few years' time. You know. It's the final question. So how do you think the services you are currently providing in TCS will change going forward? Let's look at 10, 15, 20 years, or even longer. What is your prediction in light of the foreseeable technological developments and trends? Sure. Uh, So I don't know whether I'll be able to do justice to this question, Um, (laughs) but let me try. See, there are two, three things. Uh, Again, the first part is what is TCS trying to do from a strategic intent? Yeah. for its own growth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, uh, see, so far, T- 
TCS has been an organization which has been uh, the darling of the CIOs and we have delivered the cost and optimization agenda of the CIO uh, in large organizations, okay, large mm -hmm. banks, etc. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, but what we believe is that we have to now go into a bimodal mode and we have to get into the growth and transformation agenda uh, of our customers as well. So we have to be in uh, the technology uh, implementations and interventions which make the growth and transformation of our customers and their customers uh, you know, meaningful, easy, and painless. So from a servicing perspective, we are going to keep focusing more on, we won't give up the first, but definitely we will focus more on the growth and transformation agenda of the CXOs of organizations, right? More and more from a marketing, from a servicing, uh, from, uh, from an ecosystem play perspective, right? Now, from a technology perspective, uh, see uh, the, the ability of an organization uh, in the next, I don't know about 20, let's talk about 10, yeah. The ability of an organization to survive will be on how well it is able to adopt to a purpose-led ecosystem play. Today's world, nobody's an enemy and nobody is a friend either. Mm -hmm. Depending on the customer, depending on the time, depending on the opportunity, the ability to use the ecosystem is going to be of paramount importance for our customers and therefore we have to shape up and deliver such promises and such mm -hmm. technology to our customers right mm -hmm. uh, i will just illustrate this uh, for in a minute I'll, I'll take an example of uh, uh, of uh, a pharma company in africa right mm -hmm. uh, it, it is a pharma retail chain uh, and essentially in this african country uh, the sale was always a prescription from the doctor uh, that uh, the customer brought in and took out uh, you know, the medicine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly COVID hits. You need the medicine. You need the medicine more than you needed before, but you can't walk in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if, the, if this pharma company, the retail pharma company wanted to build this entire, uh, you know, the digital uh, marketing the digital uh, supply chain by itself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would have taken a year. And you, you, uh, you think about it, you do a blueprint, you roll out, you test, you yeah. do that again, uh, you know, in sprint, agile, whatever fashion. Still, it would have taken 10, 12 months. The ability to quickly put together two, three players who had part solutions mm -hmm. was of paramount importance and we are doing that and this will be more and more you know there will be super apps uh, you know the banks uh, will ha host retailers mm -hmm. and bank customers will come in and buy retail stuff or airline tickets from them and vice versa mm -hmm. right retailers will sell insurance uh, you know when when you walk into their store or even on on their uh, you know website mm -hmm or e-commerce site, even on their mobile app. So the ability to get the attention of the consumer and sell 
whatever is available and whatever makes sense uh, is going to be very very important for everybody for each customer mm-hmm. so analytics and insights is going to become very critical you know i'm going there to buy medicine you can't at that point of time sell uh, you know mm-hmm. perfume or you know high end perfume or a car but you could uh, sell uh, a well being package right uh, so so the analytics and insights of what at the moment of truth when you are engaging in whichever channel the customer mm-hmm. the analytics and insights of that moment the customer mind the customer profile and thereby able to push meaningful products and services at that point of time uh, is going to be most important and we are gearing up to do that for each of our customer segment mm-hmm. okay and the beauty is we don't have to reinvent the wheel too much for each of the segments not too much really. you have to be able to pick and choose okay and so what i'm getting from this is at the center of all of this is the customer experience that's at the forefront of everything you do in terms of the advancement and the change get the customer experience right and you're okay that's what i'm that's what i'm getting from this yes ma'am i'm absolutely right here you know if you are as old as i am uh, you, you bought uh, you, you, we you know our generation you know uh, the 60s 70s uh, early 80s uh, born people we bought stuff based on the feature set right yeah. the canon camera had a shutter speed yes. of this yes. versus uh, sony had that or you know whatever you know mm-hmm. uh, today the feature is a software you can add that software piece any point of time yeah yeah right but the customer experience yes is the key so today uh, how the camera uh, you know sits on my palm mm-hmm. to my daughter is more important than the shutter speed yeah. yeah you know and how easy can i take the selfie at what angle mm-hmm. is more important then all the filters this that are all software which yeah. can be added yeah. later yeah yeah so the features can be added later Yeah, customer exactly, experience exactly yeah exactly. you get it on the end positive that generates more and more customers and that's the bottom line i'm afraid isn't it it uh, is it is it is samantha roy many thanks for your time and insights thank you so much it's a pleasure to be on your podcast elaine thank you very much it was a, a wonderful episode very very insightful indeed Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.